Thank you, Rich. Always be ready, right? That is great. This, I really appreciate the music and the worship here as he disappears. It's great. And uh, it's great to gather with all of you. And really what we're practicing is heaven, of course, remember? And uh, so that's why um, some dad said, what's heaven like? And, or a kid asked his dad, what's heaven like? And he said, well, it's like going to church on Sunday. The kid said, oh, I don't know if I want to go. And, and so, uh, because it, it is, and that's why we practice. We got to get our, our spiritual muscles uh, geared up, and that's worshiping. And not only worshiping, but it's worshiping with one another. Because God wants you in heaven. And if I don't like people with uh, yellow on their boots or whatever, beige, with those kind of shoes, then I'm going to have a problem. I got to deal with that. And so, because God wants all of us there. So I learned one of the things we keep doing is we keep expanding. One, and one of the reasons why it's so good to come together with others, so essential for the Christian life, is because it reminds me that people who like Minnesota uh, are going to be there. And so I've got to like the gophers, like dang. And, um, and I don't like gophers. And so how am I going to survive this? So it's good to be there. That's why it's good to even sing different types of songs. Um, you know, like if everybody was like me, we'd all sing the same type of songs. But of course, you go to church with your children, and it's just possible that your kids like different types of music. So how do we do that on Sunday? Golly, that's a good question. I'll leave that as is. Okay. Um, it's all good. Anyways, it's great to be here with all of you and to worship. And last night, uh, it was wonderful. What a, an incredible dinner. The, the steak, the, the shrimp, the sharing, the, the humor was, um, well, anyways. Uh, <laughs> where do they come up with those things? And we don't want to know. So, uh, and then just the, the time, the kids that they've been able to have, uh, the fellowship, it's been wonderful. And to be aware of the gift you are receiving, right? To be aware of, like, this is a gift. Um, there's even like 18 trillion more calories over there um, that you can sneak. No one will notice because, like, there's still tons left. So we'll have to give our teenagers over there for a minute. Last night we shared about gratitude and the importance of gratitude. And I just want to remind ourselves of gratitude as an essential component of the spiritual life, to be grateful and daily to come with gratitude in our hearts. That part of our daily prayer is gratitude. What am I grateful for today? And there's the big things and there's the little things, and perhaps the little things is more important. Because it, it helps us, it trains us to be aware of what God is doing in our, our daily lives. So one of the great spiritual practices is at the end of the day to reflect on what am I grateful for today? How has God moved in my life today? How have I been aware of God's presence in my life? Or how have I not been aware of God's presence when maybe I could have been? Because it trains us to become ever more aware of what God is doing. And that's why the little things are so important. Whether it's the sunrise or a little flower. I remember once in the hiking in the Canadian Rockies and, and uh, back in the 80s I used to go there quite a bit. And one year it snowed and you don't like these I wasn't prepared for snow none of us were and so it snowed and the next day we're having to hike in you know 
six inches of snow to get to the next location. It's utterly miserable, you know, so I got my shorts on, which in the 80s weren't all that attractive, and uh, my backpack, which weighed a thousand pounds because, you know, you want to be comfortable up there. And, and at a certain point, there's this tiny little flower, this little blue bell, just poking through the snow. And I'll never forget it. Like, there it was, present. This little reminder, it's going to be okay. You know, take the next step and try not to fall. So gratitude. What does gratitude do for you? When you are grateful, when you think of something, um, what does it do for you personally? Think about that. Anyone want to share? When you are grateful, when you give thanks, what do you notice happening in yourself or those around you? Humility. Helps you be humble. Lifts your spirit. Remember one of the most um, difficult gratitude times of my entire life. Um, there was a uh, a woman mid thirties, yeah, probably mid upper thirties. She and her family had been on vacation with another family. Uh, Wisconsin Dells, they're staying with each other, you know, one room, one room. The son on August 15th, his 15th birthday, uh, his parents are sleeping in the bed and he and his siblings are over here. He goes to wake up his mother and she had passed away. And so it was like the worst day of the world, you know. And so as the day unfolded, the family comes back to Twin Cities. I'm with the family with maybe 50 people at their home and it's just beyond awful. And so at a certain point, I um, decided to pray. And I said, what I want us to do is each go around and share one thing you're grateful for, for your wife, your mother, your sister, your friend, uh, your colleague that we are here for. And uh, I remember, I don't know who, I think it was one of the grandpas or whatever, saying, like, oh, what the heck are we doing this for? And, uh, and like everyone was like, he said what everyone's thinking. And so, Grid uh, Thomas, I love Thomas and John. Lord, we do not know the way. How can we know the way? And he asked what we all think and feel. And so anyways, but we did. We went around each sharing something that we're grateful for from this, about this person, about what's happening, whatever, big or small. And as that happened, reality did not change. She was still dead, still the worst day of all these people's lives. But our hearts were moved to a new location. So gratitude isn't simply about making the world better, because sometimes the world won't be better. But what will be different is our posturing towards Christ will be different. We become Zacchaeus in our shortness of stature. We climb the tree so that we can see God seeing us. And that's the great, one of the great gifts of gratitude. Gratitude helps us to love more. Um, so, one of my all-time passages. John 13. Before the festival of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, 
to pass from this world to the Father, having loved those who are in the world, love them to the end. There at supper, the devil had already put into the mind of Judas, son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had put everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And he got up from the table, removed his outer garments, taking a towel, wrapped it around his waist. He then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he was wearing. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, at the moment you do not know what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Never, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you can have no share with me. Simon Peter said, well then, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said, no one who has a bath needs washing. Such a person is clean all over. You too are clean, though not all of you. He knew who was going to betray him, and, was that, and that was why he said, though not all of you. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment again and went back to the table. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and rightly, so I am. If I then, the Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you must wash each other's feet. I've given you an example so that you may copy what I have done for you. So the phrase, love them to the end. He loved those who were his own, and he loved them to the end. The difference love makes. There's a uh, Jesuit priest, and the Pope is a Jesuit, and not that it really matters, but uh, he was like the head honcho of the Jesuits, and he was speaking at a big um, gathering of all the Jesuits in the Americas in Philadelphia back in the 1970s. And while speaking there, he gave this presentation on love, on the importance of love of God, love of God, love of God. And at the end of this, there was a time for questions and answers. And this old Jesuit gets up and gets up to the microphone and uh, you know, all that good stuff and says, um, you know, Father Superior, it's great that you give this great presentation on love, but I, I'm in the real world and I'm in an inner city school where kids don't have this and some of their fathers get shot and there's drugs and, and this and that and, and you give this nice presentation on love but come on, what does love have to do with it? And this is what he said. Nothing is more practical than finding God. That is, than falling in love in a quite absolute way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the mornings, what you will do with your evenings, how you will spend your weekends, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, 
and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. Fall in love, stay in love, it will decide everything. And so, um, Neil, when you remember when you first met Marie, and you fell in love with her, don't know all the you know, mushy details, but at a certain point you got down on your knee, right? And you said, Marie, will you marry me? And she said, yes, and, or something like that. And I, you know, again, all the mushy details you can share later. But because you had fallen in love, it decided everything. Like now your life is so radically different. It's so radically different. You even have two children because of your love one for another. You didn't meet your kids and then say, I'll love them. You fell in love and your kids are fruit of that. And your love for each other and your love decides everything. That's simply on a human level. Our love of God determines everything. That's why one of the most important things that you and I need to do is foster our love of God. We live in a world that um, isn't love God focused. I don't know if it ever was. If it ever was, then maybe Jesus wouldn't have had to come into the world. But he came in the world that wasn't love focused. And that's still the case today. And so what we want to do is foster our love of God. I, don't, I believe my observation is the main reason people leave the church, leave the faith, is not because they make a decision saying, I'm going to leave the church. I've been thinking about this for three weeks. But most people leave because they simply drift away. We live in a culture of people who drift. We just drift away. We miss church once. We miss our prayers once. We don't do this. We skip family fest once. And we just begin to slowly drift away. We like our Sundays drinking our lattes instead of going to church. We like our Wednesdays now free. We don't take our kids to religion class on Wednesday nights because, gosh, now we can actually have family time. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? And we uh, now are like not giving all this extra money to the church and to the poor. Instead, we're able to keep all this extra money and go on nice family vacations and nice couple vacations and nice whatever things and buy nicer cars that are safer, of course. All because we simply drift. We drift. And that's why a weekend like this can be so important for us, for me, to remind myself, to remind us to make this decision and to renew that decision every single day. That I will not drift away. I think we even see it in most, in a lot of divorces in our world. You know, it's like, yeah, don't deal with an argument and you don't deal with this and you slowly get further and further apart. You start to look elsewhere. I mean, few people start out saying, I'm going to get divorced, and so what do I need to do in the next six months to get divorced? No, yeah. You start out like not dealing with this, and all of a sudden, six months or eight years later, you look across and you go, how did she get so far on the other side of the ocean? And you go, there's no way I can swim over there. And we forgot that when you fell in love, you said, there's no ocean too wide that I won't cross it for you. 
and now it's just a little, you know, pond across behind Gull Lake. You go, forget it, the water's too cold because we've just drifted away. So fall in love, stay in love. It will decide everything. So Jesus, having loved his own in the world, loved them to the end. That's why he got up, took off his outer garment, and washed the stinky feet. That's why you parents have gotten up a thousand times a week sometimes to care for a little stinky child who screamed and yelled and never said, thank you, Mom, for waking me up in the middle of the night and giving me my medicine. In fact, the next day you say, you remember when you got up in the middle of the night? No. Well, I do, and I couldn't fall back asleep. And now I got to go to work. And now your older brother's screaming. And it's only 6 in the morning. <laughs> and you do that day in and day out. And sometimes you got to remember, oh, that's right, I love my kids. So you remember that grandkids, grandkids are the reward for not killing your kids. So, <laughs> when my nephew was born, who's now 35, 6, 4, uh, when he was born, like overnight, my mother changed. She had this big smile, this button with his picture. I mean, like a button the size of that on her coat, and I go. You know, you never treated me like this. And she said, you were never my grandkid. <laughs> but I want to share this because, like, really, like, it, and, like, I, I know I'm talking to the choir, but everyone who has left the church was a member of the choir at one point. And so just remind ourselves that this is what we're about. We need to remind ourselves to do things. And so if you're not going to come back next year, what are you going to do this next year to renew your faith? How do you renew your faith on a daily and a weekly, a monthly and annual basis? You know, we live our lives a couple of maybe three main ways we live our lives. One is daily, another is weekly, another is monthly. And so what do you do daily to renew your faith? You know, yeah, yeah, pray for a few minutes. Maybe you read a little devotional. What do you do weekly? That's why the church gathers with the church on Sunday. That's what we've always done. Whether it's at the best church in the Twin Cities, Our Lady of Grace, or, or one of the other dozen best churches. We, dozens of best churches, we gather with the people of God on Sunday. It's, that, that's not an option. I... I don't know, maybe I'm crossing the line on that, Pete. You can yell at me later. But, but because then you see other members of the body that you are called to love. And then we do something monthly. Like, how do we renew it? And so that's where, you know, maybe once a month you, you go and you serve at a food shelf. Or maybe once a month you and your kids go to some uh, other church religious shrine. Or once a month you gather with your family or another family to open, you know, to do a little Bible study or whatever it might be, but we have these patterns. And I think those are healthy patterns. So, um, as opposed to, like, we, we can't do it all every day. Like, you can't just, like, every day pray for an hour. If you're a mom and you're praying for an hour, you're probably neglecting your kids, you know, especially your kids like that tall. So, 
but we can pray every day for a little bit. And we can pray a little longer every week. And we can once a month take a little extra time. And we can annually get away for a weekend like this. Because God loved his own in the world. He loved them tangibly. I've shared this story before at weddings. So if you've been to a wedding that I've done, um, I've done a lot of weddings. And, um, and weddings at Our Lady of Grace are the best three hours of your life, I want you to know. <laughs> but anyways... Uh, but uh, I remember this uh, story, this, tr this true story. I was sitting with my family, my parents, and my big brother, my little sister. It was all like great. My brother and I were no doubt fighting, but we had one thing in common, and that was our sister, like always making her more sad than either one of us. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, it was all my brother's fault, of course. But one day we're sitting around the table and dishes, you know, dishes, dishes, dishes. And so my dad says, um, why do you, why, Evie, do you want a dishwasher? You married one. And my mom said, yeah, but I want one that works. <laughs> See, love is real tangible, isn't it? It's very, it's messy, it's tangible. So what is it that you love? And you can tell what you love by what you get your hands dirty with, how you spend your life, how you get up in the morning, how you spend your evenings. And as you look at that, if you just go, well, golly, this is not about, you know, then maybe it's time to cut that out, to grow in another way. What do you love? When I graduated from high school, about the same year as some of you, long time ago, um, this friend of mine gave me a card and he had this quote in it. And uh, it's been one of those quotes, I like quotes, I've got a few dozen quotes that I come back to every now and then. And This is one of those quotes that uh, is actually from a book from the early 1960s. And, uh, but it's just this, it was just a, words on a piece of paper and I've copied this and if your son or daughter uh, invites me over to their high school graduation, um, enthronement party, uh, <coughs> I will, um, they will get a copy of this. I've handed it out to hundreds. And this is what he said, Morris West. To meet a whole man, a whole person, is an ennobling experience. It costs so much to be a full human person that there are very few who will have the enlightenment or the courage to pay the price. <coughs> Sam, my throat's starting to get scratchy. It means it's time to wrap up, right? It costs so much be a full person that there are very few who will have the enlightenment or the courage to pay the price. One has to abandon altogether the search for security and reach out to embrace the world like a lover and yet demand no easy return of love. One has to accept pain as a condition of existence and has to court doubt and darkness is the cost of knowing. 
One, in order to be a full human person, must have a will stubborn in conflict, <coughs> but always apt to the total acceptance of every consequence of living and dying. If a person is centered on himself, the smallest risk is too great because both success and failure can destroy. Was I? That's right. <coughs> if a man is coughing and dying, <laughs> if a person is centered on himself, the smallest risk is too great because both success and failure can destroy him. If a person is centered upon God, then no risk is too great because success is already guaranteed the successful union of creator and creature, creator and creature, besides which everything else is meaningless. For centered on ourselves, every risk will be too great because we'll stumble, we'll fall, We'll end up in prison. We'll end up in, you know, whatever. Like, life is just not because it's, it's simply centered on ourselves. But if we can be centered upon God, then no risk is too great. When you think of over the centuries the great men and women of past who have brought the faith to us today, it's because they weren't centered on themselves. I mean, like, have you ever read about, like, the missionaries to North America and what they had to put up with? You know what the number one problem was? The number one thing they had to deal with? Boredom. Doesn't that sound bizarre? But imagine it's 1700 or 1650. You've come from Europe with two or three other fellow missionaries in the middle of Brainerd. And there's no Grandview Lodge. It's 20 below outside. It's snowing. And you're in a little tent, five by five, with four other people just looking at each other. Like your highlight is getting some snow to melt so that you can get to the next place. I mean, like, to be centered upon God so that we will do whatever it takes. That's why things like Family Fest, I know this is not supposed to be a promotional, but like it's so wonderful because it's so centered upon Christ. That's why your church has been wonderful to me to hear about the various parishes and churches you go to and to hear how your churches are centered on Christ. And because you're centered on Christ, they're doing things locally and some of them all over the entire universe because they risk and they go, you know what, this isn't, doesn't matter. Remember in Acts the Apostles? Acts the Apostles, if you've not read Acts the Apostles for a while, read Acts the Apostles. This is great. Like, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and now all of a sudden it says, and they sold their, the deeds to their houses and gave it to the apostles to do with what they wanted. It's like, what? It hasn't happened too often lately. But 
like they just said like what I have is for the glory of God and somehow I'll trust that God will provide shelter over my house. Now in a warm climate like Palestine, that's okay. Be careful about doing that here. Especially if you have kids. But that whole awareness that I'm centered on God and therefore I can risk. It's a great way to live. I mean, you know, the extreme sports and all that kind of stuff? That's just for a little, like, prize and a couple broken bones. We are called to extreme faith. And our extreme faith is an expression of love. Because what we love is God. Because the one we love is God. And we know his love within us. We're centered on Jesus. And Jesus is not just this idea, but Jesus is this person whom we know at our side, in our hearts. St. Paul says, and I'm looking at that clock, but I can't see it, so um, I'm presuming I'll end when I'm supposed to. <laughs> in Ephesians, remember, it's General Electric Power Company, so Galatians, Ephesians. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in heaven. Thus he chose us in Christ before the world was made to be holy and faultless before him in love. That God has given to us all the spiritual blessings of the heavens. Last night I read about from Colossians, a little list of the, some fruits of the Holy Spirit, of patience and kindness and generosity, and there's several listings of those in the letters of Paul and other listings. And above all these, we put on love, that God has given to us all that we need. And that's given to me, given to me some things, given to you, John, other things. And so together, we, the body of Christ, can do whatever God calls us to do. That's the good news. It's good news in knowing that what God calls me to do, what God calls us to do, God gives us what we need. It's also good news in reminding me that you're part of my good news, that you're part of my life. And so, Stephanie, like, it's just like life will be better because you and I somehow, all of us, share life together. So as we kind of wrap up and you go into your small groups and all those good things, I invite you to, in addition to the questions that will be magically on the screen, think of what's one or two things you take from this weekend, personally. What's one or two things, if you came with your spouse, that you can maybe do as a couple? If you have family here, what are one or two things you can do as a family to grow? Don't go to three things. That's too much. And that one or two things might be the one or two things that a year ago you decided to do. That's okay. You know, like we don't have to invent something new. Maybe, what you, maybe you already know what God wants me to do. It's like the, to pray. <clears throat> but just to, to begin to do that. So that's, um, and then hold each other accountable to that, especially if you are in a group that meets on a regular basis, if you are a uh, family, <clears throat> hold yourself accountable.
and drink more water. This is decaf coffee, in case you're wondering. I'm letting it up and up. So, <coughs> excuse me. So we'll conclude with a little prayer. We'll get into our groups. And then uh, invite us again like, to kind of help process, like, what do, we, what do we take from here? And one of the things you might want to do, like an idea is like, Again, if you've got kids, you can even draw a picture, but maybe take a picture, and with that picture, put some words or a couple phrases, get it framed, put it in your house, in your kitchen, maybe in your bathroom. I have uh, one friend, she puts the church bulletin in the bathroom, that way she knows her husband will read it. Um, <laughs> but put things like where you might see it so it can remind you and your family, this is what we're about this year. This is our mission statement, our vision for the year. And so a picture could be a helpful way. Maybe not, but just an idea. Let us pray. <coughs> Nothing is more practical than finding God. That is, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the mornings, what you will do with your evenings, how you will spend your weekends, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, it will decide everything. Pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, forever and ever. Amen.